0: say the game is getting old. Monday morning and your coffee's cold. Life is not what you want it to be. You need Hello a everyone and welcome to, to A New Direction. My name dead. is Jay say Izzo and oh wow yeah we have this is a first. I got a first on the show. It's called the book is called People Over Process uh, Leadership for Agility but I'm going to tell you something. My author is outstanding. His name is Michael K11, and he is fantastic. He's a lot of fun. We've gone back and forth on social media. Let me tell you why this is such a first for the show is because I have been on agile teams before in a variety of circumstances, writing content or you know projects and those type of things. I've never really talked about agile management or agile teams before versus waterfall teams, and my guest is the expert. I'm serious. He is. The expert, he has done this in a variety of settings in a variety of different ways, mostly around software. But I'm going to tell you if you are, if you have ever worked on agile teams and wondered why it's not working, or if you've ever worked on a project and wondered why it's not working, regardless of what the management style is or whatever, regardless of the team style is, I'm going to tell you that today you're going to be enlightened by Michael Levin's. Uh, information when it comes to leading in these type of teams because i after reading this book and by the way the book is really brilliantly written and it's a lot of fun because what he's done is he takes he takes the system and then he gives you a story behind it of how it actually can apply it and it's really cool and it's a very fun way to do it and you're really going to enjoy him he has a tremendous sense of humor but he's also so knowledgeable that if you're wondering how are we are gonna get projects done and how can we get them better and more efficiently, I'm telling you, when he starts talking about RAE, and uh, that's spoiler alert, I'm not gonna do it, but it's a teaser for you. we're gonna talk about RAE because he, he's got some really neat, neat insights into this. But hey, before we get started with that, let's do what we do every week, and you know what I say every week, right? We are four part people, right? And I wanna check in with you to see how you're doing in the four areas of your life. I believe that we're physical people, mental people, emotional people and spiritual people. And so I want to check with you on a scale of one to 10, one being miserable, 10 being outstanding, how are you doing in those four areas? So let's talk about your physical area first out there. So first of all, on a scale of one to 10, how are you doing physically? Now what I mean is, how are you? are you eating right? Are you exercising? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you doing the things that you need to do to take care of your body? And the reason why I ask those questions is because, you know, if your body's not working right, everything else doesn't seem to work very well, does it? And we've got a lot of people who are sick and things like that. So on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being miserable, 10 being outstanding, how are you doing physically? All right, perfect. You got that number? All right, there's your first number. Secondly, let's talk about how you're doing mentally. And what do I mean by mentally? Mentally, what I'm asking you is how are you doing in consuming information that is feeding both halves of your brain? We have two sides of our brain. We have a right side of our brain, and we have a left side of our brain, right? And the right side of our brain is that creative side of our brain. Sometimes what we do in that creative side is that, you know, we focus on things like you can think of as the marketing side of your brain or that piece of your brain that Wants to do all sorts of things, but doesn't necessarily finish them, (laughs) because that's what creators do, right? They don't, they start, but they don't finish. Then you have the left side of your brain, which is the logical side of your brain. And that's the part that likes numbers and quantities, and it likes to finish in reality. It wants to have closure, right? What are you doing to feed both halves of the side of your brain? Because in order to be well balanced, we have to feed both sides, right? And there's a lot of things that you can do. So how well are you doing in that area? What are you reading, right? What are you, what are you reading? What are you consuming? That's enhancing that. You know, a show like this is great for both sides of your brain. It really is. I, I, I know I'm plugging my own show, but it really is true. So on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 miserable 10 outstanding. How are you doing in that area? Now, listen, you know, you have two numbers. You have a physical and a mental number. You know what? It, listen, I'm not trying to get you, whatever your number is, I'm not trying to get you, if you're a 5, I'm not trying to get you to a 10. I'm just trying to get you to a 6, okay? And so you have to ask yourself two questions along the way as we go about this. And the first question is, why are you the number that you are? And then the second question is, of course, what can you do immediately to change that? Right, because that's, that's part of the process, all right? So let's look at the third area of your life, and that's the emotional side. And what do I mean by the emotional side? Well, as a psychological professional, what I will tell you is we look at it, I'm going to look at it very simply from two areas. One, under stress, how well are you able to control your emotions, right? That's the first, right? And then the second area is under stress, how well are you able to tap into the emotions of other people, right? Because what happens is, you know, like if you've ever been in traffic or you've ever been on hold a long time, or like I blew it last week when I was transferred from place to place to place to get my internet back up, I need to do a very good job, by the way. I'm just going to tell you I blew it. <laughs> I did. I, I lost my cool and I was wrong. And, but I knew that next time I've got to be better at doing that and I've got to be more intentional and remind myself of those yellow and orange flags that come up that I'm feeling my body start to tense up. And that has to tell me, I got to change my emotions. I got to change how I'm feeling about this situation because I can do that. I have that choice, right? So that's the other thing. And then, you know, how well can you tap into the emotions of other people? You know, when you're stressed, you know, are you able to really listen to other people's emotions, right? And are you able to understand them? And not only understand them, but are you able to relate to them? Because the power is in the relating to that and then being able to restate that emotions, so that what you're able is to come together in collaboration because part of collaboration is actually emotional stability. All right, so on a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing there? All right, that's your third number now, the fourth number, the spiritual area. And a lot of people say, I'm not sure I'm that spiritual type of person. What do you mean by spiritual? Well, what I mean there is if you were to move the physical, the mental, and the emotional and remove those away, There is something left, something that we can't explain all the time, something that we don't always understand. But it is something inside of us that is touched, that goes beyond what we understand in the physical world, and that's the spiritual world. And for some people, it's God. For some people, it's nature. For some people, it's meditation. could be a variety of things for some people. But whatever it is, what gives you a sense of peace? I didn't say, or joy, I didn't say happiness, you know, I didn't say, I'm saying what gives you peace, contentment? What gives you a sense of joy? Something that, regardless of the circumstances, you can stay centered. That's the spiritual area. Okay? So you have four numbers now, right? you got physical, mental, emotional, spiritual number. So then the question becomes, now, what is that? Well, it's like having four legs of a chair. And, you know, if the chair is not evenly balanced, what happens is it's hard on our posture. By the same token, if all your numbers are really low, the chair is really low. And that makes it tough for us to get in that chair and get out of that chair. And what we want to do is we want to bring up all four of those areas in in our life so that what we are is we're the best people that we can be, that we are meeting the most potential that we can meet, and that we can actually be productive not only in our personal lives, but also in our work lives as well. All right. Well, which leads me to my next guest. By the way, Michael K. Levin is an expert. Did you hear that word? Expert on lean and agile software development and information technology. He has conducted international trade negotiations at the United States Commerce Department. He was a corporate banker for First Bank System and became a divisional CIO, Chief Information Officer, at Norwest Bank. After a stint at Wells Fargo, he joined the United States Bank, the U.S. Bank, to deploy a new branch banking system, bringing lean and agile to a highly structured waterfall environment. We're going to talk about those terms. Then he became a technology lead for U.S. Bank Home Mortgage, He now leads all consumer lending and business banking technology. His previous books are Tale of Two Systems, Lean and Agile Software Development for Business Leaders, and A Tale of Two Transformations, Bringing Lean and Agile Software Development to Life. His third book, which we're going to talk about today, is People Over Process, Leadership for Agility. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to A New Direction, and welcome to A New Direction, Michael
1: K. Levin. Welcome, Michael. Hi, Jay. Great to be here.
0: Awesome so we have this uh, we have this great book that you have written for us here uh, entitled people over process and I, I think what I really would love to do with this book if you don't mind is I would really like to talk about uh, maybe some of the things that to just give let's let's talk about some let's let's talk about some uh, uh, I, I guess dictionary terms or maybe not dictionary but terms that people maybe should know. I think the first one is, you know, when we talk about agile, what do we really mean when we're talking about agile or lean systems or agile management or lean management? What are we talking about there?
1: Yeah, let's start with agile. That's a pretty popular term these days. It is. Um, I'll give you just a little history about it. So People started doing large-scale software maybe in the 60s. So it's it's a, re- it's a new thing, 50, 60 years old. And when we first started a long time ago, it would just be some smart programmer talking to some smart business person. And they would write up something to automate, say, General Ledger or something like that. Okay. And as scale grew, people started building more formal methods and processes around it. And it started off very logical, which would be, okay... And tell me what it is you need, and that became known as the requirements. And then it would be handed off to someone who would do the architecture, then handed off to a developer or a development team who would develop it. And when it was over, you'd give it back to the business people to test and see if it met their needs. And that was called acceptance testing. And it was a really logical way of doing it, it made total sense. The only problem was it didn't work. Mm.
0: Why is Um, that? Why is that? Why didn't it work?
1: The reason it didn't work is because it was too complicated. Uh-huh. And so one example I use is a big system we did at Wells Fargo where the requirements were like six inches thick. Oh my God. You know, so in that requirements deck is maybe 10,000 decisions. Wow. And so if those 10,000 decisions are just 5% wrong, that's 500 or more. I don't know the math, but the, something like 500 or 5,000 things that are wrong. Um, and then in the interpretation of those things, because it can never be precise enough, you're going to get some of that wrong so that by the time you get done, you have a mess on your hands. Yeah, I got it. So, um, so the, the, the idea of agile came about in about 200, 2002 when a group of people who were kind of sick of failing got together and came up with what they called the agile manifesto which had four principles and about 10 or four, four values and 10 principles. And that kicked off this revolution that the way we do things uh, tried to do things while logical simply didn't work. We needed to work in a different way.
0: Yeah. You know, this is interesting because um, I'm just going to tell people what the four values of agile are. So this group of guys actually is in Utah when they start putting this together. is the, as my understanding of the history of this. And yep. and it's, it's kind of interesting that they put this together. So here's, here's the four core values of um, Agile. Individuals and interactions take precedence over process and tools. That's one. Secondly, working software over comprehensive documentation. That's two. And then customer collaboration over contract negotiation, which is three. And then the fourth one is responding to change over following a plan. This flies in the face of a lot of things that we do. Now, the the, the ten or twelve principles in the Agile Manifesto—I'm not going to go through all of those, but okay. sure you're going to hit some of those. But you know, this doesn't—this doesn't, Michael. This doesn't—this kind of flies in the face of what we typically like to do, regardless of the project. Yeah. Uh, we we it and and this because what happens is we create these agile teams. That start to create things in increments, instead of doing everything all at once. And then this incremental stuff happens. And I have people from the old school who will say, "Well, how do you know anything's getting done?" So I'm going to ask you, "How do we know anything (laughs) is getting done if we're doing things in in increments? How do we know?"
1: That's a that's a very valid thing. And I'm I've been an executive, so I care about things like that. let me give you a simple model of different kinds of processes. Okay. Um, so stick with me for a minute here. Sure. Think about two different kinds of processes. One is more of a manufacturing process where you can say what it is that you want to do, you can design the process, and you can execute it over and over again, you can continually improve it. Okay. So that's dealing with things we know pretty well, we know how to do it, we know how to plan it, we know how to execute it, we know how to control it. That's type one. And that is really what Waterfall was aimed at. It was aimed at coming up with a mechanism that we could over and over again be successful in doing complicated things. Now, we found that didn't work, and the reason why is because of there are some processes that have a lot of variation in them. And to control those, you need something called adaptive process control. And in an adaptive process control, you still need to know where you're going, and that's one of the flaws with Agile, um, as executed today in a lot of places, but what you do is you take a step and you evaluate it and then you correct for it. And so one of the challenges we have in doing projects, um, you know, in any realm is what are we dealing with? Are we dealing with something that we know that we can plan and we can execute? We can make, you know, was it plan the work, work the plan, and that'll work. And if we can, then we for sure want to do that. But if we're in a a realm where we can't have that much confidence in the plan, we still want to make a plan. The question is, at what level of detail? And then we want to make sure that we incrementally walk into it and adjust it as we go. And that balance between work the plan, plan the work, um, is kind of at the root of a lot of our work. And when we get it wrong, we make life miserable for everyone and we fail a lot.
0: So, I I mean, you have said in the book over and over again that you're actually a fan of Agile. You, you actually are a fan of Agile, but some of these problems that you're talking about kind of – that we're talking about now in that we create these Agile teams that kind of work independently, govern themselves. They decide on, you know, what project they're going to work on first and what project they're going to work on next. They 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 I mean, they kind of run their own show. Uh, sup- and this, this, supposedly, what's supposed to happen in this is yes. that supposedly what's supposed to happen is this is that they eventually get everything done, but they're able to work on things in increments and pieces, and then we bring it all together. Then we can kind of do maybe a beta test, but guaranteeing that that work gets done in those different areas becomes uh, becomes difficult. And I think what your your book really addresses this because uh, you use uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this here so you he what Michael does in his book it's really kind of neat he he gives you kind of this background that we're talking about but then he he has this uh, I guess what we would call uh, uh, what would you call it it's not an analogy but it would be a um,
1: it's almost like a parable yeah it's a parable of putting but it's a real story it's you know there's you know there's some books I love like this the most famous one is called the goal. If your readers have, have read that, it was kind of explaining Lean maybe 25 years ago. And that was one of my favorite books, and that was one of my inspirations to do it this way.
0: Yeah, so one of the things that you say in the first chapter, which is um, it's not a agile if there's no software is the name of it, is we're introduced to Mary O'Connell, who is the developmental leader, and uh, they're working on a, on a major, large project. And the, there was just this key ingredient that's just missing, and that is there's no leadership. And, and what happens is that piece, that leadership piece starts to miss when we're being very agile because we're self-governing in our own groups. How do we get, I mean, you do this beautifully in the book, but help people understand how do we, when we're in these agile groups that are self-governing, that are supposed to be getting work done, how do we introduce leadership in a way that they accept it? Because we're, we're, we're making a real
1: dynamic change. Yeah, there's... Um... So I have, a, I have another chapter, which is kind of the obligations of organizational leadership. Right. And I think there's a big point here, and this happens in the book as well, where the business leader is kind of doubtful about this, how this thing is going and brings in someone from the outside to take a look at. And that's a really good exercise of, of organizational leadership. I mean, someone puts these teams together. Uh, at the end of the day, someone's paying for these people's salary and is paying for their work. Right. Um, someone's responsible for it, whether we want to pretend that or not. Um, so there is an obligation for the organizational leaders to make sure a team can execute. Right. Um, and then within the team itself, the team members have to actually be encouraged and expected to lead. And I mean, this is one interesting going back to that first principle that you talked about of the Agile Manifesto, which is individuals and interactions over processes and tools. And the primary reason I wrote this book was I have found that as people have implemented Agile they confuse the processes and the tools for the individuals and interactions. Mm. It's easy for consultants and software companies to sell processes and tools, but what does it actually mean to have individuals and interactions work effectively? And that's where my principles of leadership come in, in terms of what do we expect from people on teams, what do we expect from leaders, and what kind of behavior and what kind of Frameworks, can we give them to have them perform more effectively?
0: All right So let's talk about the leader. Let's talk about the leader piece for a second in agility, right? You you say that there's two crucial elements to the facilitative leader, right? One is leading teams of people to deliver valuable solutions and two, enabling teams within larger organizations to succeed so so let's let's talk about those two elements and how how do we how do we get that leader or where does that leader come from or is that somebody that's in the shop already is it somebody who's a third party in your case it was a third party <laughs> let's talk about those leadership elements and how we deliver those
1: so let's 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 start with the example in the book okay. um, so in the book we had a team that was being taught how to do agile and on the team there were some very experienced individuals who knew how to do software and had done it for a long time. And they're being taught by a rather naive, although well-intentioned Agile coach. And as the Agile coach is telling them to do things, it doesn't quite fit. But no one on the team kind of steps up and says, this isn't really working for me. How are we going to really get where we are? So no one felt empowered to be a leader or knew what the expectation for them was in this new Agile environment around being a leader. And so that gets to what my model is, and my model. I don't know if you want to do it right now. Sure, go ahead. Because I yeah, think yeah. what we need to do as organizational leaders is teach people a model like this, and say, this is what you're expected to do. This is what our goal is. This is what agility really means. It's really not about Scrum.
0: Okay. All right. Well, oh, you just introduced a new term. Can you give people a quick? Uh, <laughs> can give give people people a quick definition of Scrum?
1: Yeah. So this this manifesto comes out in 2002. And um, soon thereafter, um, a method came out called Scrum. And it, if you think about the rugby, it came out of rugby and it's everyone getting together and hugging each other and jumping up and down before a play. And so that's where the name comes from. And it's uh, simply a formal method that implements some of the um, ideas of Agile. So it's doing things in two week or four week increments, it's having a daily stand up meeting. Um, it's, um, working together with business people and technology people every day. It has a lot of really nice elements in it, but by itself, it's a process and people sold tools to do it. And in the book, they're implementing this process, but they are not being leaders. Mm.
0: And, and they're not really solving the problem. Ultimately.
1: They're not because the two, the, what they're being taught from the process isn't a good fit for their problem. And as we talked about earlier, because problems are different some are very vague and you have to learn as you go and are knowledge based some are routine and you can just execute right. and yeah. a lot of problems start one and switch to the other it takes leadership at every level to understand where are we and how do we address it so
0: this this takes us to the the, the place I really am chomping at the bit to get to and you've already alluded to it and this is the RAE model the organize and this is from chapter 3 uh, mm-hmm. the organizational leader for agility and and let's let's talk about your triangle. Um, and I know it's not yours. I know that you that that you you make it very clear that you know. Hold it, this isn't like you know. I didn't invent this necessarily. Correct. But yeah. but that you have kind of expanded it and and put it together. So let's talk through this RAE model and tell each what it is and that framework piece and how that all goes together. So I'm going to let you roll for here a little bit.
1: Sure. Um. Um, Let me start with how I learned it. Um, When I was about 35, I guess, I was kind of a, uh, I thought I was kind of a smart young guy um, and knew how to lead. And at the time, I went to a training class and they said, what is leadership? And I said something like figuring out what needs to be done and getting everyone to do it. (laughs) And, you know, (laughs) you can see the flaw of that. Right, right, right. Um, And. What I learned was, to know, that's really not it. And part of it was the level I was at. I was going from being a project leader to being a big executive. And so your obligations change. Right. But what I learned is this new model. And it just resonated with me. And it's informed my whole career, and my whole team. Um, so three things, rigor, alignment, and efficiency. Yep. And let me repeat that. Rigor, alignment, and efficiency. And The fit for these is where you have a significant number of smart and experienced people, which we often do, who need to work together um, to come up with something that's idea-intensive, but at the end of the day, turns into something that's actually testable, that's real. So smart people taking complicated ideas, working together, and turning them into something that runs or something that succeeds. So rigor is the most important thing, and I say that because... If you are not rigorous, but you're aligned, you're all growing in the wrong direction. <laughs> That's true. Okay. And if you're not rigorous and you're efficient, you're efficiently going in the wrong direction. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Okay. <laughs> I love that. I love it. We're efficiently going in the wrong direction, which kind of is kind of like, well, no, we're not. Are we efficient then? Okay, good. I love that. Good for you. That's awesome. We're
1: being efficiently wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Good for you. So, so these three ideas is my triangle. Um, and I think that our obligation as organizational leaders is to help our teams understand that's their obligation. Each of their obligation as a leader is to help their teams be those things. And, um, and then to organize our, our, our whole enterprise, whether it's big or small around those ideas. Um, so what in the book where I have uh, you know the, the rather naive agile coach telling people how to do these things, if those people are not thinking, how does that fit together? Is that the right way or the wrong way? Gotcha. Um, are we are we aligned in how we're executing it? and the answer for it in this case was no for all of those things. Um, someone had to tell the team your obligation is to think and your obligation is to influence. Your obligation is to be rigorous here and then to make sure you're aligned around rigorous ideas. And that's where I use the you know, Mary coming in from the outside to help them do that.
0: Awesome, so it wasn't Mary
1: telling them how what to do exactly, it was telling them, Be rigorous. Right. And then at, once they're rigorous around where they go, how do they make sure they're aligned and how do they make sure they're efficient?
0: OK, hold on there. Hold on that thought, because I I'm I gonna do this. Hey, by the way, folks, okay. the book is I got to do this because you, you got to let me talk about your book for a second. Yeah, book, go ahead. <laughs> the book is called People Over Process. It's Leadership for Agility. His name is Michael Levin. He is joining us. You can get this book, uh, by the way, Amazon bookstores anywhere. By the way, you can order this book. Uh, it And really, I highly suggest it. By the way. I know I have a lot of you that are in big corporations and you do a lot of software development. I've actually got people who are. Who, I've got a software question. We'll probably wait till the end of the show that somebody's asking me if it will work in Agile. Somebody's in project management, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that after the show so I can answer so you can answer his question. Um, but this book is available, uh, so check it out. I, I'm telling you, this is he's revamping the way we think about uh, leadership and Agile and uh, fantastic people over process. Get at Amazon. And you you want to know something, you're listening to Michael K. Levin and with me here on a New Direction. Hey, did you know New Direction has a new sponsor? Their name is Epic Physical Therapy. Whether you're recovering from an injury or surgery, suffering everyday aches and pains, or having difficulty performing just normal everyday activities, maybe you're maybe you're an athlete and you can't perform your athletic events. Or maybe you just are looking to improve how you feel or how you move. Look, the elite team at physical therapy, physical therapy, epic physical therapy will provide you with a customized, tailored treatment plan that fits your individual needs. With their experience in rehabilitation, whether it's a young athlete, whether it's an injury, whether it's professional athletes, listen, they have the experience for it all. And you know what? I'm going to tell you what. They understand that there is a need to treat the entire body as a functional whole, not just your symptoms or your energy injury. So you know what? Get epic relief. Get epic recovery. Get epic results. Get Epic Physical Therapy. You can learn more by going to epicpt.com. That's E P I C pt.com and Linda Crafted Team Realtors. They've been with us from the very beginning and we like to thank them for being a sponsor here of A New Direction. You know what? They've been around for 35 years and they have been the, they're known as the legends of customer service. It's not something they say. It's been part of their DNA. That's why they're around for 35 years, still leading the industry in real estate and regardless of where you are at in the world, the fact of the matter is they can help you and how they help you around the world is they will help you find the right agent, the best agent in your area, because they're unaffiliated with any national brand. They are locally owned and operated and have been creating relationships for 35 years. That's why they are the legends of customer service, because they've built it one relationship at a time. Let them be your relationship realtor. If you want to sell your home or buy your home, let them find the right realtor for you. And if you're in the Research Triangle Park area, you can just find them at 7306 Six Forks Road. They would love to see you and talk to you. You can learn more by going to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A, C-R-A-F-T.com. And we're back here with Michael Levin and his book *People Over Process: uh, uh, Leadership for Agility*. And he is uh, walking us through uh, rigor, alignment, and efficiency, and the power for leaders uh, to do this. So we're, we're in—we've just got through the rigor portion of this uh, before I rudely cut you off so I could do a sponsor break and, and do your book. But so take us through—take us through alignment and connect alignment and also um, efficiency
1: for us. Yeah, um, alignment to me means, I mean, I'm starting with this idea that you have in almost any project that we do these days, there's a lot of knowledge work. And so we have smart people who are committed involved. And so alignment means how do you get their input and commitment um, to whatever problem or initiative you're trying to solve? How do you get their head in the game? And then once you decide on an approach, Um, The number of decisions you make all the time um, are hard to control. So each team member is making a variety of decisions every day. That's kind of what people do in these projects. And you can't monitor them all. So you want to make sure they're thinking in a similar way about what you're trying to accomplish and how. Um, So that's, that's what alignment is. And it ties to rigor because if you aren't rigorous, basically someone's telling you what to do. And you don't really have the understanding of it in any depth so it's almost impossible to be really aligned at any level of detail can I, can, so that's I'm, what alignment is
0: so I was just in alignment you say something in the book that I really really loved so I wanted, and I don't want to move away from it because you said it in the middle of alignment Okay. because you, you said in the book that you know your the alignments about moving together having the right involvement information available getting input enabled. Getting a value consensus, but then you say two things in alignment. He said you got to know who the you say you got to know who the pigs and the chickens are, and <laughs> because you, if you're gonna lead this thing, you you say team members are the pigs. Because they're the ones when it comes to breakfast, they're truly committed. They're sacrificing their lives to get it done, and the organizational leaders have to recognize they're the chickens because all they're doing is laying the eggs. And I just found that to be—I mean, as a, as a farm kid, I found that to be just awesome, first of all. And and then and then, but I I got it that it's yeah. it's such a great example because that that can put us out of whack in alignment if we don't really understand who we are in this
1: process. Yeah, and then there's one more thing I add at the end of that, which is this. As an organizational leader on the alignment side, you have an obligation sometimes to make a decision. Yeah,
0: yep, yep.
1: Okay, so when we talked, you know, sometimes teams get stuck or sometimes the factors that should help a team make the right decision are beyond their knowledge or beyond their um, view. Um, So – you, leaders have to be involved enough with their teams that they can know if they're getting stuck, if they're getting off track. And, and then they, sometimes they have to help them. And so where, you know, there is a one of the agile principles is let me see if I can find it here. Um, build projects around motivated individuals, give them the environment and support they need and trust them to get the job done. Right. And, you know, when I read that, I loved it because it you know, strengthened the team. I just don't fully believe it. Right. I question right. it, too. And no,
0: no, I question it, too. Yeah. I do, because I, I, I don't know that we are fully motivated or fully vested. And, and right, I mean, from a psychological standpoint, I, you know, when we do this type of thing, are we really are we really all motivated in the same way to get this, this thing done? Or, right, I mean, there's just a lot of questions out there.
1: Yeah, I mean, organizational leaders have responsibilities. So, you know, I would have a responsibility to the head of the mortgage business line or the consumer banking business line that we've agreed that we're gonna spend blah money to get this benefit, right. Right? Um, you know, I have a, they're trusting me to help them with that. And so I can't just delegate it to 22 different teams and expect them to work together effectively. Right. I have some accountability here as a leader. Right. Um, now, I want each team to think that they're fully accountable and to think that they're, they, they own it, um, but I also want enough information flow that I can tell and other peers can tell if we're on the right track or not, and if they need help. Right. And teams need help. Teams can't fire someone on the team themselves usually. Right. So if they have someone disruptive who's not doing a job, they need help. Right. Right? Right. right. And that's where the that's why when you say someone
0: you need a leader who can who's respected who can make a decision um in especially if they're strong in the midst of strong dissent, right? That, exactly. Right? That's and that that which means that you got to be a pretty special as a leader to be able to be strong enough to you know make those decisions.
1: Because you even yeah, you, so you, you've even you talk, have to yeah, you have ahead. to be close enough to the team that you know what's going on and they know right. they trust you right and that they'll tell you things and that as, you know you have to it's hard it's a hard problem too about when do you step in and make a decision if you do it too early you can undermine the team coherence and make a bad call because you don't know enough if you wait too late you can let the team spin too long and um, I'm fortunate that I, I don't tend to second guess myself too much but it's easy to do that
0: yeah so. So talk about efficiency now, because you, what you call respect for people's time, but there's more to it. How does that connect up to the other two pieces?
1: Yeah. So, I, I mean, I really do call it respect for people's time, which is just a simplification of it. Um, so it means that um, you're – I mean, I do think about it as not wasting people's time. So don't invite people to a meeting if you don't have a really good plan and agenda for the meeting um you know and i talk about meetings a lot in the book because i think they're real leverage points where people come together in an organized way to deal with things and if you do them really well they're really positive if you do them very badly they're terrible and typically <laughs> meetings are pretty terrible in most companies
0: <laughs> yes they are
1: is that your experience jay oh no
0: it is it's my experience too matter of fact you wrote uh you wrote on here, your mission is to ensure – this is what you say to the leader in the framework. Your mission is to ensure that meetings have purposes articulated, good agendas, activities instead of lectures, and outcomes that matter instead of optional updates with no real purpose. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's your, yeah. That's
0: your <laughs> quote, man. That's, that's what you
1: said. As, I mean – It's funny, Jay, because, you know, U.S. Bank's a great place and, um, you know, we do a lot of good things, but in any big company, you're going to find things that are a little bit off. And I had just published the book and I got an email from a new project that I've been included on, which was the status report, which had 365 people on it. Wow. Wow. And um, how could that possibly be efficient?
0: I Not only efficient, but how can it meet the other two elements?
1: It doesn't, how right? Does it, and so the it, project manager is just going through the motions, right?
0: Right. How does it yeah. meet rigor and alignment when you have 365 people? You
1: can't. You can't. Absolutely not. I mean, um,
0: that's this is this is why because you even apply. Speaking of meetings, right? You apply this tool to a meeting that you you literally break it down and go. Have you applied rigor, alignment, and efficiency to your meetings? Because you can apply, yeah. you can apply this you can apply this little thing to you can, and and I mean if you you can literally move this thing around to and ask yourself whatever you're doing and I don't care what business you're in does it meet these three things and are they connected
1: Yeah and now there's one thing I, I do want to talk about a little bit Jay is sure. this idea of frameworks Yeah yeah let's do that Can I move on to that Yeah Cause yeah yeah Go ahead. One, of, one of the questions is okay so I get this idea of these concepts How do we execute this Right. And what's really fascinating is that really good companies tend to have a small number of cultural, what I call frameworks, they might call them tool or cultural artifacts or something, that they use to help their team do this. And I actually grew up in Lean before I did Agile, you know, the Lean as it came out of Toyota. And I view Agile as simply uh, implementation of Lean for software. Um, but out of Toyota came this thing called the A3. Are, have you heard of this before?
0: Oh, yeah. This is a one-page – this is just a they, – they this is just your one-page summary and passing it around to everybody uh, to get everybody – I guess get everybody on board, basically, in whatever the project is. Isn't that kind of a
1: – It is. Yeah. Okay. It's a one-page thing. It starts with what's my problem or what's my opportunity. Right. And you try to get alignment on that before you do the next piece, which is what's my current state, where do I want to go, what are my options, you know, what are the arguments for each option? Who's my team? And what are the next steps? It's a really simple thing. There's nothing special about it at all, except that it's simple, right? And logical. <laughs> it's simple. I love that.
0: Yeah. What and we of- use
1: that for problems. We use it to start new projects. Uh, it, and we try to use, you know, as many pictures on it as we can. And then, um, you know, as you say, it's not necessarily the document itself. It's the process of right. doing it. Right. So, One other favorite um, framework I'll talk about, Um, I haven't actually seen it myself, and I would like to get an opportunity to do it. So if there's someone from Amazon who wants to invite me to one of their meetings, please do. Um, Amazon is known for the Amazon memo. And the idea is that if a team needs their managers to come together and make a decision, they have to write a two- to six-page memorandum um, that's narrative, covering pretty much the same things as an A3 would do, Any pictures they have in it have to be described in the text itself. The team has to agree on the memo before the meeting. They bring the memo to the meeting, and they spend the first 15 minutes of an hour meeting, everyone reading the memo.
0: Hmm. Hmm. How do you feel about
1: that? I love it. I mean, the really cool thing is it makes people think. And, I mean, I actually write. I'm a writer, so I like to write things out when I have complicated things um, in text and narrative. Um, and so many times we get a PowerPoint. You, you go to a meeting, there's six bullet points on the agenda, and no thought process around what's behind it. Or if you have a complicated PowerPoint and the first page is presented in a meeting, you never get off the first page because no one read the rest of it.
0: Right. Oh, yeah, I get it. Okay. You, you know, this is, you know, it's interesting when you talk about tools and techniques and in frameworks and you talk about these, you know, you talk about space, you talk about the important, that actually the physical space is actually important. Yes. In 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 terms of being able to be as agile as possible. We we've talked about A three and then but then there's communication tools that are important. And yeah. one of the things that you said is that you gotta have a common, understandable language. You don't want to get too jargoned out because you've got vendors and probably who are, you know, at least listening in. And then um, the available mechanisms to train and share, and then some financial planning. But there's one piece that really hit me, and this is of course the psychology guy in me, right? You said don't forget while you're doing all this stuff as a leader, don't forget emotional belonging. Because you said, and this is from page thirty four, people come with feelings that they do not leave that they, they do not leave at home. Dealing directly with them can help agility succeed. We all have a need to belong, taking time out of the day, occasionally to do something together can go a long way in building productive interaction and overall group performance. And you give an example here. Your wife, uh, who I think you said was a school teacher, yeah, uh, kindergarten. Yeah, she has this little phrase that you use, and I just want to share it with her because I think it's brilliant. Because it's really a great emotional phrase uh, when you know you're dealing with people's emotions. And here's how it goes: When you insert blank, I feel insert blank, and I want. Insert blank. And I said, You know, in all the psychology classes I had <laughs> in grad school, I don't remember when you, I feel, I want. But I thought, Oh my gosh, that is just genius. But I, I think what happens, Michael, is that you, in your industry, you don't get enough credit uh, for the right side of the brain piece. Uh, I think people see you only in the left side piece. That's what I think makes this book really
1: special, is you deal with both sides. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the, I mean, one the, I think the story, I think I tell the story in there of um, we had been, this is a previous company, and we had been on one of those um, what, uh, outdoor adventure kind of things that's supposed mm-hmm. to build a team. Right. So we had this chubby guy. Um, yes, you did tell and, me. It. <laughs> and he was supposed to climb this uh, climbing wall. And I was younger, and another guy and I helped him climb the wall. And he was blindfolded, and it was supposed to make us teams. Get back to the office, and a call comes in. My, you know, my, ad, the my admin who I share with the president of the company, and she comes over and she says, "Oh my God, this guy just sent an email to your boss saying that you made this ridiculously high um, estimate on something he needed for one of his customers." And I said, "Really?" So I looked at the estimate, and it was like. I don't know it was it was not very expensive and it was right in line and I got kind of mad and I, 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 I tend to be more of a general kind of a guy you know like a Napoleon organizing things etc and not touchy-feely and I went to my HR partner and said okay I don't know what to do about this and she said you have to tell him I go like how do I do that and I came home at night and my wife reminded me of this what she does with her kindergartners and I did that the next day it was hard I called him up and I said when you go to my boss with this, which is a routine thing, um, it makes me really angry. And I would like you to come to me first on those kind of things and talk to me about them in the future. And he was so taken aback <laughs> because he couldn't really argue with how I felt about it. <laughs> right? Right. No, you can't. That's. But it works. It worked. And it just changed our relationship. And then we were good after that. And uh, it's, it's kind of amazing. So those those kind of human things that we bring with us, they don't go away because we're on a team. They're still there. And uh, sometimes we have to accept the fact that emotions matter and how can we deal with them effectively.
0: That's awesome. His name is Michael Levin and the book is entitled people over process leadership for agility. Uh, For those of you who are watching Facebook live, I'm holding the book up for those of you who are listening on Castbox FM. First of all, thank you everybody uh, for all the likes and the love that we're getting on Michael's show. Uh, Michael, isn't seeing it uh, on Facebook or anywhere, but he he needs to know that uh, people, I've actually got a question I'm going to ask you after the show uh, somebody has an answer for on ITIL. Does that make sense to you? Yes. Uh, good, because he's got a question on that. And um, so, by the way, if you do have questions, please feel free to ask them. I'll, I'll try to address them, and then I will answer them. If I can do it in the show, I will, but if if, if, it, if it's not fitting well within the show, I will answer those every time after show by asking the guest. So always feel free to ask your questions. But anyway, you're listening to Michael K. Lemon and a People of a Process here on A New Direction. Hey, New Direction, uh, our, our most recent sponsor. I call them new because they're the newest sponsor. But the truth is the most recent sponsor, Epic Physical Therapy uh, facility offers the most advanced top of the line equipment when it comes to physical therapy, including the Alter-G anti-gravity treadmill. By the way, it's a fascinating machine that you know, if you've got knee problems and you're, they're trying to get movement and run, it actually takes the gravity off of you so that you can actually be running and working out without that pressure, that joint pressure on your knees. It's absolutely phenomenal, your hips. Uh, also, they have the Norma Tech compression sleeves. Really cool. And then the Game Ready. Man, I'm going to tell you, I've had several knee surgeries, and I'm just telling you, the Game Ready is like amazing. Compression and cold all at the same time. It's fantastic. That's just a few of the things they have. Look, they are trained and certified the most comprehensive cutting-edge treatments available. Here's some of the treatments that they do. Blood flow restriction therapy. Very cool. Dry needling. I have that done. Really works great for pain and swelling. And then cupping. If you've ever seen those swimmers on the Olympics, cupping will create those circles. That really pulls on the muscle, and it really does a great job relaxing you. You can learn more how to make you more epic by going to EpicPT.com. That's epic. P-T, that's E-P-I-C-P-T dot com, and of course, Linda Craft and Team Realtors, located at 7306 Forks Road in Raleigh, North Carolina, serving the Triangle area of Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, and the surrounding areas. They're also available worldwide to help people all over the world when it comes to buying their home or selling the home. If you should go into their office at 7306 Forks Road, I'm going to tell you what the first thing they're going to do is they're probably going to hand you a bottle of water. (laughs) That's kind of what they do. I know it sounds silly, but it's really true. They don't want you to be dehydrated, but they also It's just part of who they are. It's part of the reason why they've become known as the legends of customer service when it comes to real estate. They really want to know you and they really want to get to know you better and nothing better than just sitting down over something, something drink like a bottle of water and just talk about what you need, what you want and what you desire in selling your home or purchasing your next home because that's how they built the business in 35 years and it's been one relationship at a time and they would like you to be their next relationship. So why not contact them at lindacraft.com. It's L-I-N-D-A. C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here with Michael K. Levin and his book, People Over Process. And we're having some fun uh, with this. Uh, you know, uh, Michael and I have gone back and forth seven times, eight times, who knows how many times. that We go back going, okay, how are we going to do this book? How are we going to do this book? And as it's turned out, it's actually been it's actually been a lot easier, I think, than we thought it was going to be. Don't you think?
1: Uh, yeah, it is. It's um it's kind of a logical, a logical progression actually. So yeah. So this is really cool. And I don't know if you want to get into
0: this, maybe do you want to talk about conducting a meeting? I, I have had people who said, Oh, Michael, you hit this one out of the park when you talked about the, what meetings are just awful. And I mean, I've got, I even got loves and likes on Facebook when you said how awful meetings were. <laughs> so maybe we should talk about you know, a well-prepared and conducted meeting that you talk about in chapter five. Are you are you open to do that? Sure. So let's talk about what makes absolutely what makes an extraordinarily well-prepared, conducted meeting. Let's talk about that.
1: Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I, I mean, I start with the idea of so much of the kind of work we do has to do with people coming together, contributing their ideas. Um, working through them to come to something common and then committing to a path forward. And so the most efficient way of doing that is a face to face meeting. And that's actually one of the agile principles Mm -hmm. um, is a face to face meeting. Then you think about how do you actually make that work? um, And that's where I have this whole chapter. And what I think about in a meeting is People coming into the meeting have to know why they're there and what the exact expectation of what's coming out of it is. Are you coming out of there with a decision? Are you coming out of there with a plan? Are you coming out of there with an approach to do something? What is the outcome supposed to be in a more specific way than we usually do? Um, And in order to be aligned on that going into a meeting, sometimes you have to kind of socialize with the people coming into the meeting beforehand. Right. So they're not walking into the meeting saying, oh, here's the agenda. We're going to make a decision on this today. And they had no input into what's the information we're going to have in the meeting. Who's going to make this decision? How are we going to make the decision? Right.
0: right.
1: So that kind of preparation around what the meeting is about and alignment going into it is critical. And then in the meeting itself, it's how are you going to make your way from the beginning to the end of the meeting? And at best, what we often see is a list of six topics talk about the past, talk about options. And someone might stand up and write them on a board or something. And that's just not very efficient and it doesn't get alignment. So I talk a lot about how do you get activities in the meeting to make the people in the meeting itself do the work that you're not just talking to them or you don't have someone standing at a whiteboard writing down what people say. You actually have activities that get people engaged in a doing the work kind of a mode. Um, So in the book, I I do talk about kind of that um, kind of principles and how to do a meeting. And then I show it over and over. Right. And each meeting will start with someone explaining this is why we're here. Do people agree with why we're here and mechanisms for that to happen with some tools and then a path to get from here to the end of the meeting Um, and then those activities and then kind of tools like up on the wall, the agenda and checking by that. We're just through this stage and we're ready to go to the next stage. So, a lot of kind of facilitative techniques. Um, and it's kind of interesting because I learned these facilitative techniques and it's hard to learn them and then to do them. It takes a lot of guts to try them. Right. But it turns out that these m- techniques to facilitate meetings are very similar to the techniques to just be a good leader because it's the same thing. One's a very concentrated, Um, You know 45 minute or hour long or half day about being a leader and then then there's the rest of your life and the techniques are so similar
0: So here's I want to quote you on a couple things that you said in this chapter that I, I really hope people will listen to when it comes to their meetings First thing you said is meetings are the primary vehicle for leadership execution first of all And then this is the quote that just jumped out at me on page 44 If we learn to have great meetings, we learn to lead that is so simple and beautiful and elegant and yet so true.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was true of me. I've seen it be true of people on my teams over and over again. Um, and when we teach facilitative leadership, and I've been really lucky to have a fabulous teacher on this. Um, I've been kicking off meeting, the sessions by saying, okay, you're going to learn how to run a meeting, but this is going to teach you how to lead in general. Um, mm-hmm. I, think, I think it's a, it's a perfect, it's a perfect a, an analog.
0: So one of the things you talk about in this chapter when it comes to meetings, and you brought it up just briefly, and I kind of want to – I don't know how we could talk about it, but let's talk about the idea of getting other people to do the work in the meeting because, I, I mean, we all get it. Nobody wants to stand there and listen to somebody lecture us, get the whiteboard, get the PowerPoint, blah, 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 blah. Let's talk about getting the activities going yeah. because, you know, you, you actually did, I thought, something really unique um, that you describe at the end of the book, and that is some of the role-playing of actually walking through the, the entire system where you actually had players playing different roles, basically acting out, you know, what was going to happen or what could happen based on the project.
1: Yeah, so th- there's a there's a chapter in there which is one of my favorite techniques um, or frameworks, which is what I call the Systems Architecture Business Process um, Simulation, mm-hmm. And so what we often see when we're doing large-scale systems work is, you know, we can do a good job of the systems architecture sometimes, we can do a good job of the business process sometimes, but we very rarely do a good job of having the business process and the technology fit together very well. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because it takes of um, a deep alignment of the technology and the business people to understand what we're building and how they're going to work on it you know, or with it. And so... You know, A long time ago, I was doing this really big project at Wells Fargo, and we were doing the systems architecture. And these architects come, and they give you this long document with all these diagrams in it. And at the meeting, they walk you through it. First of all, everyone falls asleep. No one really understands it. And the business people have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the same time, the business people are, have this tool where they're d- designing out the business process, and it's completely disconnected from the actual system they're going to be working on. So um, someone on my team actually made this up, and it was so brilliant. We've been using it for 20 years now, which is you actually do a simulation of the system and the business process together as kind of a play. You have someone be the customer or the end users, and they actually be that. Then you have them be each part of the system, and you run scenarios. I so, for that. example, if I'm applying for a mortgage, which I've done a lot of work in this, yeah. I have a customer who's going to say, okay, I'm starting to apply for a mortgage. What data do I enter where? And then where's that go? Right. And then how it get to a processor or an underwriter or a closer? And what is the systems doing there? And where are they making which decisions where? And, you know, at the, the biggest one I've ever done here had like 125 people in the room doing this together. And they said it was the best meeting they'd ever had. Wow.
0: I see. I see. I when you when you wrote about this, I was like, "This is genius." I don't know why I never thought of it. But doing this type of role play, planning it out, and matter of fact, you even in in one of the examples you had, you even had one of the vendors that were involved directly as being one of the role players in the oh, in, yeah. in the play that you had the third party in, bringing them in, and I thought. You know what a great way to really get people. I don't care what business you're in. By the way, this is going to work. I I I promise you this is going to work because whatever you're in, it's if you get all your people involved, you will. If you create these scenarios as you describe in the book, you're going to see your problems.
1: You are, and you know the last one we did that was really cool was, um, at you know at a U.S. bank we did an instant mortgage approval process where. You apply for the mortgage and we can actually get your data from your bank accounts and figure out your direct deposits from your check from your um, job and determine whether or not that's enough to pay for your mortgage. And if it is, we can just say you're approved. It's a really cool thing. Very cool. But to make that work, it took U.S. Bank. It took our software vendor that did our loan origination system. It did our software vendor that did our portal. um, It did Fannie Mae, which ultimately is the approval. Um, It took our compliance department and our legal department and our user experience department and our processing department and our underwriting department and our risk department and our compliance department. And to make it all work together, the project was a little stuck. And we did this and we did it a couple days and it unstuck everything. That's awesome. Because we had everyone together seeing both the technology and the business process together. And we could see what needed to be done, where we had open issues and then from that you could tell the work we had to do and that went right into the project planning that's awesome and it's so fun yeah right? people no, are people it, love it.
0: it it was fun and do you can i tell you what's so disappointing <laughs> is that we've been on an hour <laughs> and and <laughs> i can, it, it's gone so it always goes so fast i've really yeah. i've really enjoyed my time with you it's this has been this has been a lot of fun i hope you've had some fun
1: uh, as well absolutely yeah, I mean, I think it's great. You've actually read the book and been really interested in it. I think it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> thank you. I, <laughs> I, read, I read them all. I, I literally do. I read every book because I've written books. And so I understand, yeah. you know, when you go on these shows, right, and they ask you the same canned questions that your publicist hands out. And I didn't want to do that. <laughs> I never want to do that. I really read the book from cover to cover. And then I go and do the extra research, try to do the extra research if I don't know something. To, you know because I want you to feel comfortable that we can talk about this as well and your book is lovely written the book again is called uh, people over process uh, leadership for agility so Michael here's the last question I have I ask all my friends because you're now a friend of the show you're no longer a guest um, the show's called a new direction because we try to people help people find a new direction in their life career or business uh, if Michael Levin could leave the listeners with a new direction what would that be a new direction for them yeah hmm When it comes to people over process, leadership for
1: agility, if you could summarize it, you know, a sentence or two. I think there, to me, at the root of most of this is a way of respecting the talents and knowledge of the people that you're working with in a better way.
0: Oh, that's rigor. That's alignment. That's efficient. I love that. What better way to summarize the show? His name is Michael K. Levin. His book is entitled People Over Process, Leadership for Agility. And I'll tell you what, he's been awesome. And you know what, folks? We're done with another show, but you know what I say? Be inspired, because when you're inspired, that means you can inspire others, and in turn, they can be inspired as well. And you know what? That can make this world a great place. I'm going to be back next week with another great show, another great book, another great guest. And as I say every week, ciao, everybody. confidence and the answers don't make sense You've got to keep your hope alive you got to know you can survive this is your